This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is useful. Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast that follows our journey of investing. We break down the world of finance and investing from beginning to dividend so that you can hopefully make some returns. My name is Bryce, and as always, I am joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going, bro? I'm very good, Bryce. I cannot wait for this episode. I feel by the end of it, we're going to know a lot more about probably the hottest industry, if not the hottest, one of the hottest industries of the moment. So I'm very excited. Likewise, Ren. One of the things that we've been striving to do over the last few months and want to continue to do is bring as many members of the Equity Mates community onto the show to share their experiences, their investing journey, and particularly help us dive into some industries that you and I, Ren, don't necessarily have a whole lot of experience with, but have identified that are important and topics of interest to the Equity Mates community. So it is another industry deep dive today, and it is our pleasure to welcome. A member from the community, Natalie Puko. Natalie, welcome. Hello. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Really, really looking forward to today. I've been listening to your voices for so long since since the pretty much the very inception of Equity Mates. So, I mean, it certainly doesn't feel like the first time we've met, that's for sure. I'm surprised that you've stuck with us given the poor audio quality of the early days, but it's good to hear you have. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I do know a secret that you're sitting there with a blanket over your head right <laughs> yeah. now. So it's good to see that you've stayed to your uh, authentic roots. Yeah, well, <laughs> the blanket didn't feature in the early days. It's been a COVID edition. Oh, I see. But yeah, you know, now we're now we're doing everything we can to keep the quality. Uh, you know, maybe not a good standard, but an acceptable standard. <laughs> quality at all costs. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. exactly. Well. Pleasure to be here. Really looking forward to the conversation. So Natalie, you are joining us all the way from London. You reached out and and sort of let us know that after, I think it was the video games industry, or we, we did some deep dive. I can't even remember what it is, to be honest, but you have experience working in the cloud industry and Ren mentioned that it's probably one of the hottest industries at the moment for investors and for our community. So before we get into details, do you mind just, I guess, sharing a, a bit of a background into yourself, what you're doing in the industry, and and perhaps also a little bit about your investing journey? Yeah, absolutely. So I work at Google, 
in the Google Cloud business. And I guess I've been on this rocket ship for seven years, which is quite clearly are taking off. Like you said, cloud's a hot topic, lots of investable opportunity. And, you know, my superpower that could be really interesting to this equity mates community is that I guess I'm both a technologist, so I can get deep in the engineering, architecting and actually building um, cloud technical solutions. And then when I do in my role is I sit with executive teams and I've done this across Europe and Asia Pacific, big enterprises, kind of small startups, banks, health, media, government, as an advisor and educate on the business opportunity that the cloud presents. So I guess a fusion between business and technologists and obviously I'm a a kind of a novel retail investor and clearly loving what you guys are doing. So hoping that fusion can help our community. I'm glad we've got you on the show because you certainly sound like you have way more uh, experience in this than <laughs> I do. So. Let's hope so. We, I mean, we've just started. Like maybe you can ask me that question again at the end. But certainly looking forward to it. And then I guess in terms of my investment journey, I was really thinking about this when this started. Um, clearly, Equity Mates has been a big part of that journey. But when I was looking back, I'm fairly sure my investment journey started when I was about six or seven. And this is an oh, actual, right. this is a true story. So I would check the all odds, which is kind of the top 500 companies listed on the ASX twice a day. And now this is probably not what you're thinking, but my father, who's kind of a cross between a small business owner and also electrical engineer, kind of similar profile to mine, like where I get a lot of my inspiration from, set our family television's um, default channel to Sky Business. So every single morning, I guess, before school, um, between kind of like Art Attack and, you know, somewhere between Art Attack and Round the Twist, we'd, we'd be checking the kind of all odds and I guess learning by osmosis. So I'm not sure if it was kind of smart or sneaky, but that's kind of about, about as far back as my investment journey kind of goes. There you go. Oh, no. So any uh, <laughs> any parents out there, uh, set the default TV station <laughs> to Sky Business or some financial channel. Yeah. So that's kind of how I started. Nice. And since there, obviously, my obviously my um, investment, I guess, interest has grown quite a lot and particularly being, like you mentioned, in one of the kind of fastest growing industries, of course, and, and being like directly involved in seeing a lot of businesses harness cloud technology and being around those kind of business leaders leading the next generation of cloud is obviously certainly part of inspiring that next level of that journey. Yeah, it's certainly pretty evident that it's absolutely transforming the way things are done. So very much looking forward to getting stuck into it. Natalie, I think it's probably worth us starting at the very beginning with cloud computing because I kind of think of cloud computing a little bit like big data in the sense that it's often spoken about, but probably not often understood. Mm. It's become a real buzzword from, you know, different companies across, you know, across the economy these days. And so I guess to frame this deep dive, if we start at the very beginning, can you tell us what cloud computing is and how we need to understand it? Yeah, absolutely. I guess, like you said, you you hear a lot of those buzzwords, but when you kind of start to pull apart the layers, there is quite a lot to get through. So maybe I'll preface that in the start, especially in this conversation. I'll certainly touch on a lot of kind of big topics here. I guess we might even have to look at doing a part two at some point, but you know, you're probably already an expert in cloud. So you probably share your photos, maybe or store them with Apple Cloud, Google Photos. You might share and collaborate files on Google Docs. Dropbox, Office 365, you know, 
you know, probably um, very used, we're all used to using things like um, Zoom, working from home. I guess we're all mm. probably a little bit more of an expert than we care to be <laughs> at this time. So it's not an unknown industry. But as I mentioned, when you start to pull apart the layers, there's a lot of opportunity. And I'm going to share some of my personal views on those today. So I guess if we start with the basics, it's clearly one of the fastest growing industries and kind of since the early 2000s, the cloud industry has seen some pretty exponential growth in in the past 20 years. And if you look at um, Gartner reports, the worldwide cloud public service market is forecasted to grow this year to a total of $257.9 billion and could be as much as $830 billion in the next five years. Wow. And that's compounding annual growth of 17%. I mean, you know, the numbers don't lie. There's clearly, clearly a lot of growth in this industry. And then on top of that, you then look at the breadth of solution covered. You know, you just mentioned big data. You know, that's just the start, obviously, cybersecurity, infrastructure, app development, machine learning. You know, it's just moving so quickly. I was a solution engineer in Google Cloud and, you know, even Google Cloud has up to 90 products, <laughs> which makes it extremely difficult as a cloud solutions engineer, you know, to be able to explain these technologies as they move so quickly. And then, of course, you have the application of those technologies in every single industry, you know, AI in healthcare for personalized medicines, analytics and, you know, data in hyper-personalization services in banking retail, scalable platforms that make streaming entertainment platforms possible like Netflix and Spotify. And, and these are just the things that we know about today. Just to go back to the very basics for a point of, I guess, definitions, correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm sure I will get this wrong, but I just, I want to try and articulate how I understand the shift that cloud computing has enabled. Back in, back in the day, in like the first generation of personal computing, everything was contained like you had the hardware in your computer you you relied on your computer's memory for data storage and you relied on your computer for computing power what cloud has changed and really what's driven all this amazing advancement across sectors and industries is that you can now draw on data storage and computing power and the like basically from online and from data centers and servers that aren't physically located with you. Exactly, exactly. And I'm going to talk about some of those benefits about kind of cost and scalability um, a little bit later on, but you're exactly right. I mean, essentially, it's gone from what you just explained today, or I guess in the past, to a, you know a whole bunch of data centers filled with lots and lots of servers, you know, football fields of servers, all working together to solve problems which businesses can use. So, yes, spot on. And, you know, this particular industry certainly hasn't been slowed by COVID either. I mean, this particular industry is certainly unique in that way. And we're waiting to see the full effects of the market. But this week in particular, you know, tech companies are reporting their Q3 results. And we're seeing companies, you know, up to 48% year on year growth, big tech companies um, announced for Q3, which is pretty unbelievable growth. And, you know, that's only going to continue to grow. So Natalie, who are some of the biggest players in the cloud industry at the moment? I mean, AWS comes to mind, but I'm sure there are many others, obviously Google. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So I guess, 
you know, if you want to do some further research after this, you know, again, Gartner releases their magic quadrant every year. So keep that on your radar. But essentially, if you look at cloud infrastructure. If you look at kind of the right-hand corner, there's Amazon Web Services, Microsoft Azure, and Google Cloud. So there's some of the top players in the infrastructure space, but some other prominent players present in the market, which you've probably heard about before, is things like Alibaba Cloud, Oracle Cloud, IBM, Salesforce, Adobe Cloud. So yeah, you're absolutely right. They're some of the top names that we see popping up in this industry, of course, and we'll go into some more depth as we make our way through just on that if you think about it from like a an investing point of view the infrastructure is obviously one part of i guess the cloud industry are there other ways that you can think about getting access to the cloud industry without having to just invest in those that provide infrastructure? Yeah, absolutely. Firstly, I would say there's kind of three different categories, although there are others emerging in public cloud community. And I guess I've kind of held product solution engineering kind of roles in a a couple of them now. And, you know, these big players have products and services across all three of those cloud categories. If we look at a triangle in the bottom, we have infrastructure as a service. Um, In the middle, we have platform as a service. And at the top, we have SaaS, which is software as a service. So they're the Mm -hmm. kind of three ways that you can, I guess, break down the cloud industry. And I can kind of take you through a couple of those examples. Yeah, sure. Before I actually do that, I think it's really important if I kind of take it one step back and you say like, why is there so much opportunity in cloud? You know, why now? And I think, you know, there's obviously lots of reasons, but simply put, you know, customers and data, they're at the center of every business and both can be optimized and powered by cloud. You know, these are just the obvious ones. I mean, the business conversations that are happening at, you know, board level six, so level all about agility, speed, cost, risk management, new product development, they can essentially all be optimized with cloud, which means there's limitless opportunity. I mean, 94% is the number of enterprise organizations that are already using cloud technology as a part of their IT strategy. So in these three categories, which I just mentioned, infrastructure as a service, platform as a service, SaaS as a service, there's just so much that exists today and hopefully I can demystify that and obviously more to come. So how about we start with SaaS? Okay, so SaaS, the most common cloud service type, largest market segment, forecasted to grow 104 billion in 2020. And most of us use this every day. So it's basically software access through an app or web browser. So it's an as-a-service model or an annual subscription, like we would pay for things like Netflix, for example. It's a big hit in the business world. And some kind of notable SaaS companies, they're things like Salesforce, CRM, which you've probably heard of, a kind of platform that gives big businesses kind of single view of the customers. So still generating some really impressive growth after 21 years. They reported their kind of 2020 revenue was up something like 29% year on year. And pretty much every organization has some kind of CRM. So that's one example. Of course, during COVID, 
collaboration and productivity suites like Google Docs, Office 365, Zoom, of course, is a big one. I know up around 600%, I think it was, it was, it was around that. It's, it's just unbelievable. And, you know, for some kind of less obvious ways that people um, and businesses are using SaaS, I mean, like, of course, now during COVID to enable schools and remote workers, but like enabling telehealth to give frontline caregivers access to patients and, you know, better access to their data. Of course, that collaboration extends to big companies like Atlassian. I mean, they really are the jewel in the crown for Australia as an Australian company. They, of course, own things like Jira and Confluence, which helps engineers collaborate. And then, you know, you have some other big born in the cloud kind of SaaS companies that have HR systems like Workday, for example. So Hmm. it's the largest market segment and it's still only 20% of IT spend. So let's just kind of pause there, kind of pull over, stop running, stop doing whatever you do if you land on that. It's the biggest, largest segment and still represents only 20% of Mm. IT spending. You mentioned earlier that the the industry in itself is what 280 odd billion over the next five years expected to be what was it 840 or or thereabouts so Mm -hmm. growing sort of three times what it is today is is the software as a service the the sector that will be driving most of that growth yeah i mean well the numbers certainly don't lie i mean that that's what the numbers are saying this this out of the three that i mentioned is certainly one of the fastest growing areas and there's kind of no debate around the utility of public cloud in especially in saas and especially during covid and you know we're you're already seeing some of these kind of spawn off saas industries like docusign for example yeah. i know you guys said that you know, you're using DocuSign and kind of hitting your head saying, damn, I wish I had a thought about that right at the no, start no. of COVID. Like people need to sign contracts. People can't go and physically do these things. And then you see kind of spawn off industries again, like particularly with the work from home. I mean, companies like Okta, all of a sudden you need to connect back remotely to you know VPN, you need to authenticate, we need to get people working from home. I mean, we're seeing more and more companies, of course, during this time, we need to do that. So yeah, absolutely. I would say this is certainly one of the fastest growing areas. Next, we have infrastructure as a service. So this is a second largest market segment. And what is this basically? It's basic computer infrastructure like data storage, software-defined networking, servers, all in the cloud. And before the cloud, a lot of large organizations would obviously have to kind of host these servers and things like that on-premise. So now they're looking at large cloud organizations to host those servers. And this particular market grew around kind of 40%-ish in 2009 and forecasted to grow again, of course, this year to um, around 50 billion. Wow. So they're big numbers. And I mean, this is for small enterprises and kind of large businesses, as I mentioned, instead of owning, managing, patching, maintaining big server rooms, you're looking to cloud providers to support with some of that. So some of the examples that you've probably heard of Things like Amazon's EC2, Google's Compute Engine. We heard some buzzwords around things like containers and open source software like Kubernetes. So seeing a lot of organizations and particularly, you know, big players like big enterprise customers. I mean, 
95% of large organizations are using cloud computing. And then there's less obvious areas, which I thought were really fascinating. It's organizations that do things like rendering. So movie rendering. So I was reading that one snapshot of Spider-Man, something as little as 90 minutes compared with the seven to eight hours it would take to render one image of Spider-Man on kind of a local CPU, of course, the bandwidth and kind of disk space you need to do that, these big movie studios, like going from seven to eight hours to 90 minutes to do some of this stuff, like pretty impressive. Wow. What is driving that though? Like it's too hard to kind of comprehend. (laughs) I'll, I'll talk about it in a little bit when I talk about benefits of cloud, but very high level here, we're talking about things like scalability. So being able to actually have access to the infinite amount of compute resources at hand. So a lot of large organizations, you physically, without cloud, you have to go and buy big servers that have a lot of CPU, that have a lot of memory, that, that kind of sit in a server room. And you certainly don't want to be the person that's buying all this hardware and not using it, nor do you want to be the guy or girl that, I guess, in an old world, didn't buy enough. And then you're having to go back and buy more. So I think, you know, obviously scalability is a big part of this. Cost is a big part of this. I mean, you're seeing big tech companies on the hardware side of things, at least starting to optimize some really high-powered hardware things like tensor processing units, things that are really optimised to do high processing in the cloud, all kind of on demand. So lots of reasons, and I'll, I'll get into that a bit further, but that's just one of them. And then, of course, you know, you see health companies, for example, using infrastructure as a service, doing things like genome sequencing. So again, instead of owning their own big servers, Again, they're looking at things like specialized machines to run big genome algorithms to kind of start to determine the different types of medicines that we can give to people depending on, you know, different genomes and different ways that people are made up. So that's infrastructure as a service. Before we move to platforms as a service, just with things like infrastructure as a service, will that incorporate things like quantum computing and artificial intelligence and machine learning. Yeah, absolutely. You are stealing my thunder a little bit here. (laughs) Oh, am I? I had had, uh, quantum computing in my section on what's next, but no, you're absolutely right. You you make a good point because, I mean, technically, let's let's just jump to that now. I guess it's not because it is exciting. It sounds like it's far away, things like quantum computing, but actually it's really not. I mean, this time last year, Google announced a pretty major milestone in in quantum computing research, which sure like a traditional computer that solves a particular problem in 200 seconds that would take the world's fastest supercomputer 10,000 years now now you take that kind of unfathomable i don't even know if that is the word let's say it is concept and then you put that like as a service so that you know any startup any big organization could potentially have access to you know as a service on demand pay as you go in a data center 
And, you know, this could solve problems that are impossible, as you mentioned, for classic computers today, things like designing better batteries, changing the way we do security and encryption. So, yeah, you're you're absolutely right. It sounds like it's far away, but there are some other players, you know, of course, you know, Amazon and IBM who are already starting to offer these as a service. So, yeah, absolutely right. Is that quantum computing, like that massive leap forward in, I guess, computing power, is that just going to be the norm in like 20 years? Are we going to have normal computing? Is it just going to all be quantum computing? Gosh, if I had the answer to that, I feel like I'd be a very, very rich person. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'd I'd like to think that was the case. But I mean, you know, as I mentioned, people are already starting to do this. And I guess without getting too deep because there's only so far I can go down this quantum computing kind of rabbit hole. But I mean, to your question, will it end or I think it will always kind of be both because if if you look at how computers are made today, you know, they're binary, which means computers are made of electrical currents that are made up as kind of zeros and ones. And quantum computing basically completely changes the binary structure of how computers are made. So instead of Again, not going down too much of a rabbit hole, but instead of being a ziv zero or one, it can live on a spectrum, which means that zero and one can live in a superposition, which means it can be a zero and one at the same time. Now you're like, what what on earth is she talking about here? But let me tell you, if we start to look at completely changing the way we do computing and we apply that to things like cybersecurity and we start to look at encryption and private keys and things like that, instead of hackers, you know, hacking private keys and things like that, they're starting, they're going to have to break the rules of physics. What if they have a supercomputer on their end though? Yeah, this is a good question. I'm sure we could go back and forth on this all day. I'll be honest, I don't have the answer to you. But, you know, you're starting to see what I wanted to, by going down that rabbit hole, what I wanted to show you to your question, is it end or or? I think there's the basic way computers are made today, the binary structure and the way the computers are made. And, of course, we've got this kind of new way of making computers as, uh, as well. So I don't think in our lifetime it'll ever be an end or, but I think they'll probably both exist just to a, you'll have greater access to those types of technologies. All I'm thinking now is that people are getting excited about 5G. I can't <laughs> wait until my phone is quantum computing. <laughs> Will that actually mean that the, the physical computers that we buy, if you can then plug in, I guess, to us a infrastructure as a service being supercomputers, you're actually not going to have to have powerful internal computers? Does that make sense? Like just it's a good question, but I mean, that's exactly the point of cloud, right? So now yeah. for big enterprises, right? So now instead of having your kind of physical servers sitting next to you, if you want to change that up with like a physical phone or wherever it might be, you're using those resources that obviously aren't sitting next to you. They aren't sitting a server next to you. They're kind of sitting in the cloud and you're accessing them remotely. You're kind of SSHing into big machines and you're doing all this kind of, you're accessing this infinite computing power through your laptop. So I guess if that's the trend in the cloud world, then who knows where that's going in the consumer space. Before we jump to platform as a service, we'll just take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. 
Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash post. Natalie, we touched on infrastructure as a service and software as a service. And the third category is platform as a service. So do you want to take us through that? And then we can perhaps start jumping into the benefits of cloud. Absolutely. So let's go through this. It's the smallest, but when we say small, still still forecasted to be worth around 72 billion platform as a service. And when we look at exactly what is platform as a service, essentially it's a cloud environment that supports the development and kind of life cycle of helping users build, test, and deploy new apps. So if if I was about to build an application, I was a small business, I wanted to get started tomorrow, this is the platform that you would use to bring your ideas. And essentially, you know, you bring your idea, you bring your code, and then you rely on big cloud or small cloud players to bring the kind of underlying compute infrastructure and scale databases and things like that. So some notable examples are things like AWS's Elastic Beanstalk and Google Cloud App Engine. You know, you're seeing, again, a lot of small startups use this type of platform for obvious reasons. They, you know, they don't want to go out and buy infrastructure to build a lot of kind of scalable mobile backends. So again, so whether you're kind of building your first mobile app or looking to reach existing users via via mobile experience, it's these kind of platforms that we're starting to see businesses test new ideas and scale new ideas and not worry about all the stuff that sits underneath all the hardware. It's like we bring the code we bring our idea and then we give the responsibility for someone else to make the scaling happen. So Natalie, you've just explained the three main categories of cloud computing, infrastructure as a service, platforms as a service, and then software as a service. And I've got to say, my mind is a little bit blown by the scale and the, I guess, the opportunity in this space. Let's try and blow my mind a little bit more and really drill down on some of the benefits of cloud computing. I guess in the most simple terms, you know, Microsoft used to deliver software from a CD that you installed in your computer and now they deliver it through software as a service via the cloud. Why do companies choose to do that and why is it better for consumers as well, I guess? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, there are a lot of business benefits. And so often we focus on kind of like the deep technical benefits, which of course is a really key part of that, that why why there are so many cloud companies and why there's so much opportunity. But, you know, there's obviously some really key business benefits here. So I'll just lightly touch on a few of them. So the first one is scalability. And this is basically the ability as a business to be able to rapidly scale your 
computing infrastructure, your data and storage and your app as it either grows or shrinks depending on how many users you get or the business demand. So in in the cloud industry, we say elastic compute. So you imagine holding a rubber band um, and that rubber band kind of like bouncing in and out depending on how far you're pulling it apart or the pressure that you're putting on that band. So you imagine 10 years ago, you know, you're at a you're at a startup, you kind of go by the servers. Like I mentioned earlier that you've either bought too much or and you've got some leftover or you haven't bought enough and then you're not meeting the needs of the amount of customers that you might be able to get. So I guess through this kind of pay-as-you-go model, you can kind of better control your costs. You can scale up and down meeting the demand. And I think the key part here that I've seen with the customers that I've worked with at least is the cost of failing is so much lower. And to be able to kind of literally like swipe a credit card and within a few seconds, you've got access to infinite amount of computing resources. I mean, like it's it's fairly obvious why that's very attractive, not only to people who are building new startups, but obviously you know, building big organizations as well. And, you know, one really notable example, of course, is Pokemon Go. <laughs> Bryce's favorite game. We probably don't need to give an introduction. <laughs> we probably don't need to give an introduction for that. But I mean, within 15 minutes of launching Pokemon Go in Australia and New Zealand, the player traffic surged well past what Niantic had ex- expected. And their worst case predicted would be kind of five times the amount of data stored. And guess how many times they actually exceeded that original kind of worst case of five times the amount of data that they would collect. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. But now I'll go go 500. It was 50. (laughs) I told you. Bryce loves Pokemon Go, every aspect of it. We're stealing all of Natalie's thunder here. Yeah, I mean, you told me you wanted me to blow your mind. I mean, you just blow my mind. I mean, you got it straight on 50 times. Now, like you imagine the poor person in an old, I want to say old world, but it's not really that old that, you know, kind of didn't buy enough infrastructure, you know, physical kind of hardware servers to be able to like store that much data. I mean, you'd be kicking yourself, right? So the ability to be able to have a database like Data Store, for example, is a Google product, Google Cloud product, to be able to scale up and down depending how much data that you you use. I mean, that's very, very yeah, attractive yeah. Um, for, for obviously it, a it lot of reasons. It makes me think of the uh, TV show Silicon Valley where they were managing their own servers in their garage. And like that's just, I, I imagine, yeah. not an experience that founders of today's startups have to worry about. No, not at all. Like I said, it's kind of as simple as going onto a website and saying, I want this database, click. I want this N1 standard machine, click. You know, it's it's that easy. And I think, you know, again, kind of probably tangential to this, but you're starting obviously why we're also seeing so many, you know, startups in this space being so successful so quickly because it is a matter of kind of going on and kind of you know, it's a click away to be able to use these services. And, and, of course, it kind of that elastic demand leads pretty well into the second benefit, which is cost. So, you know, you've seen that with Pokemon Go, the ability to scale. And the idea with cloud in general is it's, you know, it's pay as you go. 
So instead of physically buying and housing all this kind of infrastructure, it's kind of like paying for a water or your gas bill. You know, you you pay for it as you use it. And these kind of big cloud companies are doing things like down to things like paying by the minute for the stuff that you use which of course is very, very attractive. And of course, you know, you think about the cost of actually using, just using the infrastructure, but what about the cost that it it costs to actually manage this hardware and manage the software and, you know, the people power that it takes to manage all this for big businesses. And, you know, if, if your core business, this is what I often say to the cloud companies I work with, if your core business is not patching servers or building a custom service mesh, then why would you? Why wouldn't you focus on whatever your core business is and the thing, the competitive thing that's driving your business forward? Like, why wouldn't you put your resources into doing that? So yeah, cost and scalability obviously come kind of hand in hand. Natalie, before we move on from cost and tell me if I'm stealing your thunder again, I imagine the other side of the cost equation is the next to zero incremental cost of distribution for a lot of these companies. You know, Microsoft used to have to create physical CD-ROMs, send them around the world, mm-hmm. and they had, you know, shop fronts or they had to sell into retail shop fronts that would actually then sell the CDs. But now it's just download with a click of a button. So for Microsoft, all that cost is now stripped out of yeah. their business. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're spot on in, in, in the way that cloud is bringing on whole new services models like software as a service. Um, you, you hear these terms like cloud is eating software, <laughs> you know, so you, you kind of see the hard, the, the physical disk, and then you see that disk being hosted on a computer. And now, of course, software is then eating that and cloud is then eating that. So it's just like a self-fulfilling prophecy. I guess there's just something new all the time. That's why it's so exciting to be part of this industry is because it's just going so fast. And I'm a very similar to age, I think, if not exactly the same age as you guys, kind of late 20s. And, you know, I'm sitting here talking about cloud, but I was also the same. I also had, you know, Encarta. And I was, we were, we were also that kind of those kids, I guess, at the time that were using CDs and that's why I think our, you know, and particularly for the equity mates community, that's why our, I guess, millennials are very, very um, uniquely placed in that we've seen both worlds. Would you agree? Yeah, 100%. I, I still remember yeah, for sure. floppy disks back in the day, like in uh, the very <laughs> early days. Um, yes, so do yeah, I. They, they are a serious relic of the past now. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I think, you know, this community is it a really interesting place to be able to see where we've come from but also where we're going so i've got to say natalie you're uh you've made me uh feel bad about where i am in my career given that you're the same age as us and killing it in google over in london (laughs) (laughs) we're we're actually on the other end we're using all this cloud stuff to you know i was thinking about how you're saying it's so easy just to go on and you know, choose your database simply just through, you know, a click and we're going through that process at the moment with building out our new website and all that sort of stuff and just, yeah, getting ahead around all the options that are out there but the ease in which we can just do it literally from our own homes is pretty phenomenal. So 
I'm going to give you guys kudos here. I, I know, <laughs> I know you certainly do deserve it. We'll continue to do it throughout the show. But I mean, even this platform that we're we're, we're using today um, to be able to record this, it's it's clearly you know it's a software as a service, and the ability for you guys who are you know starting a it's essentially like, you know, a platform and a business to be able to share voices across the industry. I mean, you 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 guys are some perfect examples of you know the scalability and you know the I guess opportunity for cloud so yeah well I mean podcasting as a whole genre as a whole vehicle wouldn't exist without cloud computing I imagine yeah I mean like I mentioned this I guess you know software as a service we've we've talked about that as one of the three as the top out of the three that I've explained today, although I'll preface there are others, but they're the top three, is fastest growing. So, and of course, you also mentioned that, you know, as part of your inquiries, you're looking at data and, you know, data is an insights is kind of the next benefit of cloud. And I think one of the most exciting, and there's so many kind of businesses yet to, yet to be discovered in this space. And especially now with the sheer amount of data that we collect, I mean, IoT, uh, Internet of Things, sensors, web clicks, you know, everything is smart, smart TV, smart bridges, smart washing machines. I mean, we're capturing every single data point around customers in their transactions with our business or services. And, you know, before cloud, this was really cumbersome and an expensive process to collect. And when we think about data, the opportunity for data and data businesses, I like to break it down um, into kind of this simple way because you can look at data as a whole, but there are many parts of data and insight that cloud can help with. So cloud can help with kind of the collection part, how how we collect data, how we store data, how we analyse data. And finally, how we visualize data. So things like BI tools, which I'll talk about in a second. But you're seeing some big products like Redshifts, Amazon Redshift. We see things like BigQuery in Google. You see, you know, Snowflake, of mm. course, is a big one, really topical right now. Just IPO'd, raised around $3.4 billion, more than kind of doubling on its first day of trading. So you're starting to see these really interesting data organizations, I guess, that help businesses bring all their data together in one place. So I've heard it called kind of data gravity, I guess. So how do we get all our data together so that we can start to make some really meaningful decisions for that data? Like I talked about um, platform as a service, these big data companies are coming out with, you know, instead of having in an old world, you'd have to set up um, the infrastructure. You'd have to define the size of the database. You'd have to say, how are we going to replicate the data? Now there's these cloud companies like Snowflake, for example, like BigQuery, like Redshift, that are saying, forget about all that stuff that sits underneath. We're going to provide you with a platform for you to be able to simply, you know, be able to do focus on the analytics on the data. And that's really, really attractive for large organizations to not have to worry about the stuff underneath. I mean, again, if you look at Gartner's magic quadrant for analytics, you see in business intelligence, you see platforms like Power BI, Tableau, Click, Splunk, Datadog. So, you know, you can certainly start to see why data is is so important. And I think I mentioned right at the very start that customers and data 
at the center of every single business. I, I can guarantee you, you, can, you won't be able to find a business where customer and data isn't a part of like what they drive. So you can see why there's so much opportunity in the data industry. And I mean, we haven't even talked about machine learning yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's move let's move to that. Unless there are any other major benefits, or if you include machine learning in the benefits, because it'd be good to also touch on, I guess, the investing side and some of the trends that we're seeing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I guess machine learning it feels like a bit of an enigma. It's like people know what it is, people don't know what it is. It's like it's kind of reserved for the data scientists and things like that. But really what we're starting to see in the cloud business at least, and I'll talk about this a little bit further in the kind of future, future trends in cloud is that we're democratizing access to machine learning. So it's not reserved for the data scientists, people who can write R or SQL or um, Python. It's like, how can we make machine learning API platforms accessible for people who don't necessarily have those deep, deep expertise? And again, you're seeing a lot of the big major tech company players, Amazon, Microsoft, Azure, come out with machine learning platforms as a service so people can kind of build their models, run their models, deploy their models, all on platforms that typically you would have had to have very large, heavy, expensive machines to be able to do that. So that's that. And then I guess the final one before I go into the investing, I guess, and I won't go too deep on this because I know that it's it's cybersecurity, surprise. Um, <laughs> uh, you guys obviously did an episode on that and I think you did a really, really great job. If I do say so myself, it's clearly, clearly a zeitgeist and, you know, cybersecurity is clearly part of a growing cloud industry. And I just came across um, PwC just released their digital insights survey and they interviewed a number of Australian businesses on their kind of predictions for 2021. And we can see that those top Australian businesses are set to boost their cybersecurity budgets by half, so by 50%, which means, of course, investing in more and more, the opportunity to invest in more and more cloud security tools. And again, I really suggest if you're listening, go and listen to the guys, you know, security podcast because you did such a great job. But, you know, you're talking about things like when we mean cybersecurity, what do we actually mean? You know, things like network security, so Palo Alto Networks, you know, remains by far the largest uh, security software vendor measured by revenue, you're talking about data loss prevention, you're talking about identity and access management, how do we actually access our cloud, you know, infrastructure, etc. So, you know, lots of fun things happening in that space. I'm not going to go too deep there, but I will give you this one fun fact. So Google has a vulnerability reward program and they do it every single year. And basically, if you can find some kind of, you know, vulnerability in in any kind of Google product, they'll give you pretty much up to a couple of hundred thousand dollars, a (laughs) t-shirt, and I'd imagine probably a job at some point. (laughs) A t-shirt's what you really want though. (laughs) Yeah, because the job is I mean, the job's not not obviously... um, not certain, but I imagine if you're finding something like that. So by giving you that fun fact, what I'm saying is like cybersecurity is really intrinsically tied 
to cloud. And there's a lot of reasons why businesses choose to use, you know, cybersecurity cloud software is because most of these big businesses, it's what they do. They're experts in this. So a lot of, you know, large enterprises, small, small startups are kind of diverting their kind of software, I guess, problems, you could call them, or opportunities to big businesses who spent, who, you know, spend a large portion of their days kind of working this out. So there's some, some of the Obviously not all of them, but some of the benefits, scalability, data, security, and cost. That Google program is so smart for two reasons. One, it allows them to identify all this talent that's able to find vulnerabilities that their engineers can't find. But two, it stopped these hackers selling those vulnerabilities like on the black market and instead creates a financial incentive to give them back to Google. Another way that Google is killing <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of interesting stuff happening in this space. And look, I know I haven't gone super deep here on um, security. I'm not I'm not a security expert, but you know, it's certainly a very exciting space. And I, I did I did name a few type of organizations there, like Palo Alto, Octo, which I named um, kind of earlier. Some big players in that space. So Natalie, you've covered off four major benefits there. Are there any other benefits that people should be aware of around cloud computing? Yeah, I guess the final benefit is um, around sustainability. And I think this is kind of a, a less obvious one when you talk about the benefits of cloud, but this is a priority for a lot of large organizations who are investing in cloud. And, you know, you're thinking how sustainability and cloud work together? Well, it essentially helps businesses to lower their carbon footprint. And of course, this is something that, you know, is is really important as corporate responsibility for big businesses. And how do they do that? Well, by reducing their reliance on kind of physical servers, owning their own hardware, electricity and running costs, that of course lowers things like carbon footprints. And you're seeing big technology companies make big pledges you know, that they're going to be, I know Google mentioned that they were going to operate, you know, carbon on carbon-free energy by kind of 2030. And, you know, also becoming the world's largest corporate buyer of renewable energy, things like kind of wind and solar. And of course, if you're seeing that the industry, cloud industry is moving that way in terms of sustainability, this of course spawns off demand for other industries as well that we won't of course have time in today. But if if these big tech companies are becoming the world's largest buyers of renewable energy, of course there's downstream effects for other industries on that. So one that's kind of less obvious, but I think obviously very, very topical. Yeah, there's a whole rabbit hole we could go down there around sustainability of data centers and all that stuff. But let's let's not go down that rabbit hole in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> At this point, we've covered off what cloud computing is, some of the major categories of cloud computing, talked about some of the major benefits. The next question naturally is, how do we actually invest in this industry? It's a good question. I guess so for me, my personal investing principle is choosing a company that I can come to an intelligent decision on. And I don't mean doing a kind of comprehensive valuation, although if you are into that, I do suggest you read The Intelligent Investor by Benjamin Graham. I know you guys are also a fan of um, that particular book. But I mean taking the advice that I know this community really thrives on from, you know, Mr. Warren Buffett and the idea of, you know, investing in your circle of competency. And I say this specifically in the context of cloud because this industry is so big. 
And you don't have to be right about 100 companies. You just have to be right about a couple. So for me, if I'm generally interested in the cloud technology, and I guess on my side, I can dive kind of deeper in the technical solution. But if you know, if I'm actually going to read the cloud report, if I know who's calling the shots, if I you know know where it fits into the competitive landscape, what makes it different in the cloud industry, then to me, that's a pretty good start. And you know, if you're not interested now in microservices or Kubernetes or service mesh, and you're like, oh, what did she even just say? Well, then. I would suggest you probably start with, you know, something that you use every day. And like I mentioned, there's lots of cloud technologies that we use every day. And you don't have to have an opinion and everything. Um, you just can't in cloud. I would say just go with something that you're really passionate about. But, you know, if you want to get more specific, obviously you can't overlook some of the mega caps or kind of big cloud tech companies in the market. We've talked about some of the big tech companies and, you know, you can invest in them directly. If you've got between, you know, a thousand and kind of 3000 USD to spend, I guess, on one, <laughs> on one particular stock, I mean, you can go and invest in the big tech companies. But, you know, ETFs, you know, ETFs are a really great way. And again, I know this community is really, and I know you guys too are really, that's typically kind of where we take the conversations around, you know, investing in a, you know, a bunch of different tech companies that follow an ETF or kind of bundled in an ETF. So the Comsec like Pocket app under Tech Savvy, they have that that particular ETF tracks the performance of the NASDAQ 100, which includes many of the cloud companies, which I've just mentioned. Again, I know you guys are big fan um, of Hack and, you know, BetaShares kind of global cybersecurity ETF. And I think, although we didn't go deep into security today, it is a simple kind of cost-effective way to get exposure to some of the leading cybersecurity companies in a single kind of ASX trade. And there, some of their holding companies are things like Okta, which I mentioned, um, which is quite an interesting company, particularly in this work from home world where we need access back to a lot of our kind of corporate infrastructure. And then the other one I kind of came across was the BVP NASDAQ Emerging Cloud Index. And this is developed by um, Bessemer Venture Partners, kind of a leading capital group. And they have an ETF that kind of track 54 cloud companies. So, you know, they're just some of the ways, of course, um, you can look at ETFs and big, big companies. But then finally, I think it's important, in particularly in the category of cloud, that we look at some less obvious, not publicly listed companies, those that are yet to IPO. And I know you guys are doing a great series, which I have loved on that, <laughs> um, taking companies on their IPO journey, because there's a lot of good, fundamentally strong companies with good growth, reasonable valuations, kind of still yet to IPO. And, you know, 10 years ago, there were no private cloud unicorn companies valued at a billion dollars. And my research showed that as of February this year, there's at least at least 86 private cloud wow. unicorn companies That's huge. valued at, yeah, valued at over a billion dollars. And they're companies like HashiCorp. They're a big infrastructure as code, you know, helping businesses to manage, provision, run, 
infrastructure in the cloud, you know, Stripe, payments platform. We just obviously we talked about Snowflake. They just IPO'd, you know, Australia's Canva. That's still a private company. And I, I was researching that this year their valuation doubled to $6 billion. I also wanted to talk about, you know, those companies that haven't IPO'd yet because I think it's important for this community to kind of keep an eye on what's obviously out there but clearly what's coming. It's crazy just the amount of companies out there that are killing it in this space. One question I have around investing in this category or a cloud computing theme, it feels like there's a lot of companies that are benefiting from it who are you know, pivoting to distribute their software or their services or whatever through the cloud. But it feels like the conversation always comes back to Amazon Web Services, Microsoft Azure, Google's cloud business. It feels like they're really the backbone of what all these other companies are trying to do. Is that right? Or how do we think about you know the interactions between those sort of tech giants with their web services businesses and all the other businesses that are benefiting from this cloud theme? Yeah, I think it's a good question. And I guess my answer that I might be slightly biased because I work <laughs> in one of these big, big tech companies. But I mean, particularly when you're talking about when we look, think back to the benefits of cloud, things like being able to offer infinite scale, infinite elasticity, kind of low cost, really high security. I mean, these big tech companies like the ones that we've mentioned, typically they have the infrastructure in place already in some cases to be able to run their own businesses like Amazon, like YouTube, like Gmail. So I guess you are seeing these big, the large tech companies that I've mentioned be able to provide these services because they also do then piggyback of some of their other big businesses. But then of course, you know, you're seeing those big companies acquire other cloud businesses, you know, like IBM acquired another big player in the cloud market. Red Hat, I mean, you see Microsoft acquired, you know, GitHub. So yeah, you're right. I think you you are seeing a lot of these big tech companies, a lot of the innovation spawn from the big cloud tech companies. But at the same time, you know, I've mentioned a whole raft of other smaller not so smaller <laughs> businesses now. Yeah, small, <laughs> small is a relative term when we're talking about these big tech companies. Yeah, yeah. Does that does that like kind of start to answer? Yeah, your question? it does. It does. The story that always gets me is that Amazon obviously has uh, Amazon Prime, their video streaming service, but they also host on AWS on Amazon Web Services Netflix's infrastructure, and it's just it's crazy how they you know like. They might be competing with some of these businesses in one category, but then they're also benefiting from the growth of those businesses in other parts of their business. They've just got, you know, fingers in every pie at the moment. That certainly is software and cloud industry, I guess. It's just there's so many benefits that make sense to so many other businesses. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. So Natalie, to close the convo out, I guess what are some of the key trends that we should be keeping an eye on in cloud over the next sort of few years? Yeah, absolutely. So I would firstly kind of start off by saying, I think, you know, when you talk about what next, I think it's less about, you know, what's beyond cloud. And I think in my perspective, it's really around what's building on cloud because I think cloud's laid the foundation for, like we talked about, a lot of new computing models. And that unlocks some pretty unbelievable set of innovations. And, you know, the areas that I'm personally interested in are things like, I touched on this one earlier, the democratization of AI platforms. So 
low code, no code AI platforms. And we see this term data citizens, which was new to me. I was like, what's a data citizen? Well, a data citizen is, is actually one of the fastest growing categories of data users. And they're everyday data users like you and me. And it's how do we actually allow the everyday user to have access to kind of pre-packaged APIs, so kind of like cookbook recipes that are already made with things like speech to text, with things like vision, with things like sentiment analysis, to be able to build, run, model, deploy machine learning capabilities in the cloud. And, you know, I think there's so much more to be done in the machine learning space and and the opportunity is huge. I mean, when I teach my machine learning kind of workshops, I always say that, you know, the opportunity for machine learning is so big because the best use case in machine learning is a repeated decision at scale. So something, a decision in an enterprise that's made over and over and over and over again. And I think obviously it's clear that there are so many businesses that make repeated decisions at scale. So clearly, you know, machine learning is part of that. Then you look at some really interesting applications of that. I mean, you look at not a publicly listed company, but I don't know, have you guys seen Soul Machines, what they're doing in New Zealand? Kind of human face chatbot software. No, I haven't heard of them. It's unbelievable. I mean, it's like a it's like an actual human face and it truly looks like you're chatting to somebody. I know, you know, some of the big banks like ANZ, I believe, are looking at using this type of chatbot functionality, which is kind of spawned from machine learning capabilities. So seeing more and more repeated decisions at scales like that through customer interactions. Another spawn of industry from that is responsible AI. I guess it's not that we don't often talk. I think we're starting to talk about this more and more and more as more businesses start to use machine learning as how do we do that responsibly? And I think there's a lot of because it is a big industry, I think there's a lot more to happen in this space. And, you know, it's not just obviously cloud companies' jobs to do this, but things like I had I had a, an executive the other day ask me, I'm really interested in doing machine learning, but like how do I know if my data is biased? And I thought that was a really good question because unless you have the right tools and things like that and you have the right people solving those problems, it is something that a lot of businesses are really going to have to start to think about if we are building a lot of machine learning models, you know, how are we doing that responsibly and how are we making sure the human element, the part where we decide what are the inputs into the model? How do we make sure they're not biased? So I think that's a really interesting part about that. And I guess the next is multi-cloud. That's roughly, you know, roughly 84% of large enterprises who use cloud have a multi-cloud strategy. What does multi mean? It means using more than one cloud. And this is happening now, but I think there's certainly more to do in this space. Well, you know, we'll continue to see more organizations support with helping businesses kind of move data around, manage assets in two clouds. There's still a lot more kind of protocols to be designed and standards to be managed and adopted in managing multiple clouds. And if you kind of want to mentioned one business here, Megaport. I know we've a few people on your, I was going to say show. Is it a show podcast? Show (laughs) show work. On your show, mentioned Megaport and they manage network connectivity to multiple cloud providers. 
all in one kind of space. So you can see if, if I'm talking about multi-cloud as kind of like a what's next, it's very clear why you're seeing Megaport companies like that. I mean, they announced their FY 2020 results where they delivered something like 66% increase on their revenue, which is huge. And it was around 24% increase in their customer base and like doubling their services. So clearly you can see why multi-cloud is part of this um, kind of what's next industry. And the next is spatial technology. And, I, you know, I find this fascinating. Some analysts actually project space-related cloud technology services could total about $15 billion by the end of the decade. And that's at least several times higher than the current levels. And last week I heard that Microsoft announced teaming with Elon yeah, Musk's kind yeah. of SpaceX, and that's to push some kind of like high-speed internet satellites to provide connectivity around the globe, you know, warning systems, defense systems, so phew, lots to happen in that space. Yeah, the moon might have better internet connections than some parts of Australia in the coming years. <laughs> <laughs> who knows? Who knows? And of course, we talked about, you know, you know, you kindly stole my thunder a little bit earlier when we talked about cloud computing. But, you know, it's quite clear, as I mentioned, that we're going through a new wave of just like completely rethinking how we do like the fundamentals of how a computer is made. And I heard someone say the other day that you can't build a light bulb by building a better candle. And I thought that was a really interesting way of explaining like the opportunities for cloud computing because it's not just doing something like 10% better. It's, it's completely rethinking the way we do the fundamentals of, of computing. Like I went down before the kind of zeros and ones and blah, blah, blah. You know, and yes, obviously we'll, we'll, and we're already starting to see, as I mentioned, some of the big tech companies already starting to offer some of these kind of like quantum computing as a service. So they're some of the ones that I'm interested in. Obviously, there's others like gaming, cybersecurity, blockchain, you know, there's so many kind of people predicting what's next in cloud. But I think I would go back to what I said you know, earlier, these are my views of what I'm interested in. And I think it's not about what's next above cloud, but it's kind of like what's building on cloud. Well, Natalie, you've certainly gone deeper than I guess, uh, I think any uh, industry deep dive than Alec and I ever have, but it's been absolutely, (laughs) absolutely fascinating and very much appreciate you spending your time to share your experience that you've got with the cloud industry. Because as Alex sort of said at the start of the show, something that is Hot topic in the community, but as you've clearly, I guess, illustrated over the last hour or so is that it's an industry that we should all very much be keeping our finger on the pulse as it certainly feels like it's going to provide a lot of investing opportunity going forward. So, Absolutely. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Thank you for your time and, uh, yeah, looking forward to keeping in touch and seeing how the industry grows from here. So thank you very much. Yeah, not a problem. I I certainly hope it's given some people um, some things to kind of noodle over. It's it's certainly moving so past um, this industry. I guess it's probably already changed since <laughs> we've started <laughs> recording right. this. And 
the, the last thing I wanted to point out is that I just want to point out that we went the whole entire episode without saying the word afterpay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but <laughs> now, now. <laughs> oh, you just said it. Yeah, but now I feel really relieved that we've, we've said it. And, yeah, I hope it certainly inspired some other cloud enthusiasts and hope and hopefully some more women in cloud and investing for that matter because I, it's a really exciting space to be in. Yeah, very exciting. And uh, you've definitely given us a lot to think about and added a lot of companies to our watch list and a lot of topics to our rating list, I think. So yeah, just to echo what Bryce said, massive thank you for coming on. And I think as this industry continues to develop, we'll have to get you back on to get updated and hear more about it. Sounds good. Thanks very much for having me. Really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to Equity Mates Investing Podcast, a production of Equity Mates Media. Please remember that everything you hear in Equity Mates Investing Podcast is general advice only. The content has been prepared without knowing your personal objectives, specific financial circumstances, or goals. The host of Equity Mates Investing Podcast may maintain positions in the companies discussed. Before considering any investment, please read the product disclosure statement and consider speaking to a licensed financial professional. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.